It's a privilege to be able to come up after a time of um, worshiping. For me, uh, one of the things that's so important for me is just to take that time in the morning as, uh, uh, as I get ready to speak here um, with you and just to worship with my heart. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity just to pause and say, thank you, God. Let me pray. Father, open our hearts to your word. Spirit of God, give us ears to hear and the ability to see what you might be wanting to see in our own particular lives and life situations, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. There's an interesting little book that was written back in 1982. And uh, this man named Lester DeCoster uh, wrote this book before this movement, which we are a part of, and is happening throughout the nation called Work Matters, it's about how you can tie Sunday to Monday and through the rest of your week, how do you keep the light switch on that God is doing in your life here so that it follows you throughout your life in your work. Um, and and there's, this movement is, is, is taking hold. Christian colleges and universities are including it in their curriculum. There are churches that are seeking to wor- weave this into their culture and to their life. There are foundations actually giving grants to send people to conferences to, to help them establish this within their church. There are also a, a, a whole host of, of um, kind of nonprofit organizations that are springing up to make this whole idea that what you do, whatever your work is, it matters. Whether you are working a full-time job or a part-time job or you are a stay-at-home parent or you are in your retirement years, what you do and how you make a contribution makes a difference. And, and what you do throughout the majority of your week is important and, in fact, even more important than just what you do in this minority of time. But this guy wrote that, this book before this was ever on the radar. There was no blip of work back in 1982, in a sense. And he wrote this book. Um, he was a librarian at a uh, Gordon College and Seminary, and he had begun working with and teaching some factory workers in the evening who had found their work completely, um, they had lost their sense of dignity, they felt degraded, they felt demoralized um, by their labor. And so he decided to write this little book called Work, The Meaning of Your Life, to help encourage them to understand that what they do, even in their factory jobs, makes a difference. And so he was giving speech classes in the evenings for these blue-collar workers in the city where they described their daily lives as meaningless and degrading. They felt like nobodies, like they were slaves, like they were just a part of the machinery on the floor. And no one cared for them like human beings. And they saw no dignity and no meaning in what they do. And as I was kind of processing that and reading that and and understanding that, I thought a lot of people probably feel that way. There are people in our midst right here who kind of are in that place, um, kind of going, you know, I don't feel like what I do really matters that much. And you know what's really interesting is that throughout history, many people have felt that way. And what I wanted us to understand as we look at the message and and hear um, uh, some things from Genesis and a few other places this morning is that we live in an age that's really unprecedented. We live in an age and a time where it's just uncommon compared to all of history because throughout most history, 
most people didn't have the opportunity to say, is my work fulfilling? Does my work really utilize my giftedness? Am I really um, actualizing my potential where I work? We saw this video of people enslaved. And in many ways throughout the world, even though they may not have been enslaved in the same way, they were in what we'd call indentured servants. There were class systems. And and, and person who was maybe in a position where they had the ability to be a lord or a master or something over a group of people or even employee of a large farm system or something like that, they would try to, I'm sure, put people in the right places. But you really didn't have the luxury of what we experience much in our age where we go, man... I'm not feeling fulfilled, and my work is a grind, and I just got to find a place to actualize my potential. I'm not saying these are bad things. I'm just saying it's not what we've experienced throughout history. In fact, the majority of people have not had this experience. It's only been in the last century or so that this is occurring. Or you can say, what's my dream job so that I can fit into it? As products of the Depression and of Two World War, my parents and their parents and generations before them didn't have that. They honestly didn't look at their job as their expression as much as they saw it as the fact they were grateful to have a job. In fact, many of them were just happy to survive. And so as I looked at my wife's family Um, Grace comes from Thief River Falls, northern Minnesota. They were just happy to stay warm through the winter. And they worked a farm, and they were dairy cattle, and they were just happy that they would have enough of a harvest to be able to really provide for themselves and share some of that with others. But just in a few generations of time, work from survival has moved to self-actualization and work has become not just enough money to live on, but a place to express who I am and then get a lot of money with it. And I'm not saying, again, that's bad. That's good. But what I want to do is have a stop for a second and understand how our circumstances, our culture, really determines our understanding of work. And so if you kind of look at those two extremes and those two examples, you'll find that in, in, in my parents' generation and before, their circumstance shaped their view of work because of the hardship and the ability to strive, and it gave them a lower view of work than what the Word of God has to say, which we'll talk about in a moment. Not God's intention. And then if you look at our generation and the circumstances and the culture, especially we in North America live in, places in Europe and other places, again, think about the circumstances and how it shapes our view of work. And in many ways, we can sometimes have even a higher view of work that sets us up for a lot of disappointment. That if you read the word of God and you understand the word of God, you understand that there's a sense that both these things are true to a degree and they really help bring balance. You see, if we don't take God's word into account, it's really easy to live like, I call this roller coaster experience around the idea of work. You move from idealism to all of a sudden cynicism. One author said this way, idealism says, through my work, I'm going to change things, make a difference, accomplish something new, bring justice to the world, or as the Google executive company says with their mission statement, we're going to do something amazing for the world, right? And that's true and good. And yet on the other side, there are times when you come into that place and there's a cynicism that says nothing really changes. Don't get your hopes up. 
do what it takes just to make a living. Don't let yourself care too much about what you're doing. Get out of it whatever you can. And what I love about the Bible is that when you understand the word of God, it gives you an understanding so often. It's really helpful to know what we've come from. It's helpful to know God's word because God's word has a way of grounding you, giving you balance and understanding so that you don't have to ride this up and down of what happens in work that God never intended. And, and I, I always encourage guys in my group, and I encourage you as a church, that one of the best things you can do is in the morning, take time, and I know some people are night people, so, you know, again, wherever it fits best, but for me, and often I say, just to take a few moments in the morning to quiet yourself in your heart and read God's word and say, God, speak to me, ground me in your truth as I go about my day. And so when I look at this message, one of the very first things I want to do is bring reality, the reality of God's word, to help us understand our work. And then I want to talk a little bit about what it means once you understand the reality of it, that you move into a place where you begin to understand the reality of God's presence and how it can bring meaning in your work. Okay? So the first thing is just about how God's word brings such balance. Um, He has a way of keeping us actually centered. Work is good, we're told, in Genesis 1 through 2. If you just read through these first chapters, we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, it might be good to pick that up, but I'm just going to do a kind of a thumbnail sketch again of this. But Genesis 1 begins with God as the creator. He is expressing himself. He's contributing. He's making. He's about creating. He's serving not just himself. He's serving others in the development and creation of this work that he's doing for six days. And then for a seventh day, he rests. And we see God as a worker. And we're told in Genesis, we get to the end of that passage of scripture on the 20th verse, and then again in chapter 2, we're told that in his image, you and I are made in his likeness. We are our father's son or our father's and mother, you know, daughter. You're, you're the one who expresses the image of God. And in expressing the image of God, that means you also have creativity, that you have the ability to con- contribute, that in your DNA, you are created in such a way that your life makes a difference when you serve. So Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden. This is before anything bad happens, to work it and to take care of it. And the word to work is the word in Hebrew called avad, which is the same word that is used in other contexts that say worship. There is this sense that as you work, you are also in this expressing worship. Because as you contribute and you be a, you're a part of this, by not only the things that you're producing, but by the environment that you bring to the place where you're working and your involvement in the lives of people around you, the ability to show up with God in you is an act of worship in your work. So that as you begin to think about it, you think about this fact that the word of God begins by saying right from the beginning, your work has the opportunity to express God in all his glory. It has the ability for God to do something where you're at in that place. And it's worship. So that you really can begin to start seeing yourself, not that just I'm the minister that kind of serves you on Sunday and helps encourage you and and helps, as we do, lead in worship and hearing God's word, but you begin to see that your ministry is in your workplace throughout the week. That is your ministry of worship to God. DeCoster makes this statement, work is a gift of self to the service of others that becomes the fabric of civilization. So simply, who you are 
as you contribute and you serve others, it becomes the fabric of civilization. There is this sense that as there are people who are farming and they're bringing in food and it goes to the grocery store, it's all these little jobs. There's people who work in, in, in the oil production and through that have gas at gas stations. We all are contributing in some way that creates this fabric of civilization so that we, in a sense, get the good of someone else. And, and, and that's what work does. He says, lay a blanket of seed upon a field and behold, a harvest. And then he says, lay a blanket of work upon the world and behold a civilization. And then he makes this little statement, wages provide the capacity to buy in on the riches of that civilization. So in one sense, he's talking to these guys who, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, who are working in this factory. He's saying part of what you're doing is a part of this greater fabric. And yes, you don't see the meaning. Maybe it's cut off in that sense. But the wages you actually receive from it actually allow for you to buy into the riches of what's happening in all work around this world. And so, as he says, our work is good because it provides all good things around us that we enjoy. Paul makes an interesting comment on this. He makes this comment and he, he, he's talking to the world in which he was in, in, in areas in Ephesus and in some of the Greek parts of the world, there was this place where it, it got to the place where in some of these areas they were rather wealthy and there were a number of them who just didn't work and, and they were beginning to kind of just, you know, feed off of what everyone else is doing or some who were actually stealing. And so at one point in Ephesians 4, Verse 22 through verse 28, he says, you were taught, so I want to remind you guys that when I was here with you, I taught you these truths with regard to the way that you used to live your former life, to put off that old self, the way that you did with all its deceitful desires, and to be made new in your attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. And in a sense, he's saying, you know, there was a time in your life when you opened your heart and you began to realize this incredible love of God. You stepped into this love that he had for you. And in that love, he took away your shame and your guilt and your sin because of what he did on the cross. And because of that, he established a relationship with you so that you could begin to see things and begin to have an attitude that would be like his attitude in your heart. And then he says, if that's the case, then here's some things. He gets real practical that you need to, to do and not do. You take off your old self. So he says stop, he says, put off, take off like clothes, falsehood, and speak truthfully. Well, that's a very practical thing. You know, you once did this, you lied, so lying isn't going to be helpful. And then he says, also, in your anger, don't sin. He's not saying don't be angry. He's saying when you become angry because of what's happening, or you choose to be angry according to the circumstances around you, don't take that energy and use it destructively to hurt someone. And then he makes this interesting comment. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, and they may have something to share with those in need. Basically, you were made to contribute, says Paul. As it says in Genesis, you were made to actually serve others, and in that there's a good. So that you can actually, when you produce and you get the fruit of what you've produced, whether the wages or whatever it might be in a farm situation, crop, you have the ability to to live on that and then to do what all are to do, and that's to share with others who might be in need. Second Thessalonians steps into this a little bit more because in this area again, so you have this area in, in Greece in that day, modern day Greece is a city called Salonika and it's this area that's north of Corinth and, and in this area there was a lot of people who weren't working and so he writes and I'm going to read it in the message because it's just so in your face. He says, our orders, says Paul, backed up by the Lord Jesus 
are to refuse to have anything to do with those among you who are lazy and refuse to work the way we taught you. Don't permit them to freeload on the rest. We showed you how to pull your weight when we were with you, so get on with it. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. In fact, we worked our fingers to the bone up half the night moonlighting so you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have a right to your support that we did this. We simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, hoping it would prove to be contagious. Because work is good. It allows for you to get a return, and in that return, it allows you to live your life and share it with others. And then he says this, don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? Now, he's not talking about people who don't have the ability or capacity due to injury or something else that's happened in their life to be able to work. He's talking about people who have the capacity, who are to move into it, and who refuse to do so. He says, don't you remember the rule we had when we we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately, no excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. I think it's interesting. There's reports of a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings taking advantage of you. I used to read that to my kids on a regular basis. No. Just kidding. Some of you will be doing that. So he says on one end, there's a sense of, you know what, work is good, and some of you need to realize and understand that there's a goodness to it that's not just because we're created like and we're designed to do this, but as we do this, it allows for us not just to live, but to be able to share our good things with other people. That's a part of work. But there's also another extreme that he begins to talk about. He talks to Timothy at one point, and he says to Timothy, there are some of you who not only think work is good, but it's become your life, it's become your idol, and you have come to the place where it's all you about what you do, and it's about making more money and becoming richer. And so in Timothy chapter 6, he says in that first letter, he says, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their pride and trust should become from living in God, who always richly gives us what we need. And he's basically saying, here, some of you have worked and you've got so much abundance and you're getting more and more, and in it you become proud, and what you need to do, he actually goes on to say, he says, they should be rich in good works and they should get happily those in need. Isn't that kind of an interesting view? Here's what's happening. In work, it's good. You need to contribute. You need to be a part of it. And part of it is so that you can share in this fabric of civilization that you can be a part of making a difference in people's lives who are enslaved, who have no choice, that are into forced labor. And work is a good thing because we're designed to create, we're designed to contribute, and we're designed to work. And some people have said to me, you know, Pastor, that's really good. Make sure you continue to talk. And that's just about people who have a full-time job and work or part-time work or, or they're somewhat in a stay-at-home mom position or parent position or father position. But you're in this place where you're retired. And there are people here who say, well, what about us? What about us? And I go, you know what? He's talking to you. He's not saying you've got to get out necessarily and do a job. He's talking about making sure that your life, even in those retirement years, are making a difference in the lives of others, you can contribute. It's really been interesting. I've had people who've been sharing stories with me. They've moved into retirement, and retirement isn't now I can just do nothing. Retirement, in many ways, is an opportunity to say this, God, what do you want me to do with my life right now? How can I make a difference? Dorothy Hansen was one of those people. She was a children's ministry director here for a number of years, and, and she shared with me, you know, make sure you talk to this group, and I, like I characteristically do, I said, well, tell me 
some stories. Well, she told me a bunch, and then she told me her own, and she said, you know, I used to be a children's ministry person here, and I, after I retired, said, God, I love kids. That's why I did that. So how can I continue to do it? And she starts to look for places where she serves. She served for the last year or so on Wednesday nights, and she helped take care of kids that way out of the gift of herself contributing to the fabric of this kind of culture. She talked about how she would have opportunities to go down for her relatives, and she would go down, and she would spend time where she would help take care of kids. She gave me stories of other people who invested their lives in in the lives of other people because they knew that in doing that it made their life easier so there's there's no room in a sense well i've come to retirement i guess this isn't about me i shouldn't really even be here at this message no this is about you but there's another side of the coin work is good says genesis 1 through 2 but you hit genesis 3 and things crash down and we find that work is broken some of you might be sitting here listening to this message, oh, work is good, this is all great, and you're rolling, maybe your eyes going, but try my job, right? You know, a recent Gallup survey found that 70% of American workers feel disengaged at work and catch this, outright hate their jobs. So if you're there, you're not alone. What I don't want you to be alone in is the fact that you've got to remain in that place. You may not like your job. You may not like the situation you're in, but we're going to talk about it in a minute. Even though it is broken, you can bring something into that that makes a difference. Genesis three seventeen through 19 reveals what many of us, I think, feel. Cursed is the ground, he's talking here to Adam, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce catches thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since it is from there you were taken for the dust you are and to the dust you will return. The message says it in a way that I think is, captures a, a, an essence of it where he has just been speaking to Eve and shares about the curse in childbirth and now he turns to Adam and he says the very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life long. Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, it's a great book if you want insights into this whole thing, you really want to understand your work and how meaningful it is. He, he has these insightful words. He says, Genesis 3 is an ancient text filled with rich theology in narrative form, but it could not be more relevant and practical to life today. It goes for the jugular as if to say, do you find the two great tasks in life, love and work, to be excruciatingly hard? This explains why. If you find that even relational love and being engaged in that kind of is difficult, and you find your work, well, here's why. It's broken. God ties the pain of love and marriage and the pain of work very closely together in these verses. Both childbearing and farming are now called, both of them, painful labor. Theologian W.R. Forrester writes, in language after language, throughout our civilization, language after language, the same word used for toil and childbearing is labor and travail. So you have this kind of parallel going on. So he makes this comment. So companies assemble teams to work furiously for months or years to give birth to new products or ventures, which may die a quick death in the marketplace. Or a star football player works hard to get in shape and get ready for the season, in top shape for the game, and they have an injury. 
Uh, some of you remember Adrian Peterson? Anyway. Brilliant entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs get thrown out of companies when the time gets tough, and then few of those are invited back, but Jobs was, but few are, and they experience the pain, the frustration, and the curse of work, which is broken. And he says, work even for those who really seem to have work going for them, find it frustrating, at times meaningless, painful, and broken. That is the reality of God's word as we understand work. So that in verse 18, he says, thorns and thistles will come up as you seek to grow food. You think about it, you're going down there and you're grabbing this and it's a reward, you're getting reward for your work, but as you do so, you get cut. And then he says, not only that, the sweat of your brow will be part of what goes into making the fruit of your work and, and causing it to develop this idea that we all have, boy, work should be as easy, it's not a problem. No! That's all about the fact that work is broken. And we as believers of all people don't need to live in this idealistic that everything has to be here, nor do we need to live in this cynical place. But we can live with the understanding of God's word. That's why God's word is here. He tells us, yes, there will be fruit, and you will find it fruitful, and there will be times that you will find it fulfilling. And yes, it gives great meaning for you to to do that. And there's a dignity to what you do in your work, but you also have to understand that sometimes it's just grueling, it's frustrating, it's painful, and it is less than. And if you try and find your life and your work, you're going to find yourself in a place that will often leave you wanting. And so what do you do? I was thinking about this. It's just fascinating when you think about the the sense of meaningless in work because I think of a factory worker who um, is tasked to put five nuts onto a wheel lug every 30 seconds, hour after hour, day after day. And what makes work so difficult today is that it's removed from the fruit of what we do. Or it's found also in an executive who is at a bank who's bundling together thousands of subprime loans, buying and selling them in enormous blocks of capital, and he's doing all this, and they both have the same question, both an executive and both the person who's working in a factory, and both the same question is this, what am I working for? So much of our work due to the sake of efficiency and higher productivity has become impersonal, Right? You think about it, work is good. In one sense, you know, I, I mentioned this last week at, at, at places like at General Mills. They inspire people by they say what you are doing as you're filling out orders, you're making sales, as you're nourishing lives. They give you that sense of vision. And yet there are times when all you're doing is going to just fill in orders is really make a difference, Right? Or you think of the, I, I think of the Kennedy Space Center. There was a time when this was a great illustration that we talked to people about. If you want to inspire people with vision, you got to let them know what they're doing so what they know what they're doing makes a difference at every level. And they talk about a guy who was coming into the Kennedy Space Center and he just wanted to kind of come in incognito and he wanted to ask different people what they were doing. He was hoping to, to meet with some of these scientific minds, some of the people walking down the hall. The first guy he gets walking down the hall has this tag on him. He sees his name and he asks the guy, he goes, he says, I'm here, I'm doing a report. Um, and around the space center and the initiative, what's your job? And he goes, to put a man on the moon. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but specifically, what do you do? He says, I'm a custodian. And you go, wow. And yet, I got to tell you, there's times where all he felt he was doing was pushing a broom, cleaning up after people. So what do you do? Work is good. It's broken. Keeping that understanding in mind is really helpful. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Bring the reality of God's presence to your work. Here is something that I believe God intends. 
There's a whole lot of other things we can talk about. One thing I think is really important that really does make a difference in people's work is to bring Jesus with you to your work. If the reality of God's word is, you know what, here's the balance that you need, here's what really brings what I believe is a deeper fulfillment, is that you are in a place as a servant of God, where you work, you have the ability to bring Jesus. And I know of no one, I know of no one who is able and and better prepared to take something broken and fix it and repair it. I know of no one who can see a wounded person, a person's heart, who can see that and actually come in and bring healing and kindness to it. I know of no one who can come into a dysfunctional culture, a dysfunctional place, where there you kind of go, you know, my boss has set this whole thing. I know of no one like Jesus who can come in and bring health in that area where they step and where they live. And so there's a sense, can you bring Jesus? And so the first thing I say is let Jesus live in you. The first thing is invite him. In the morning, when you get up, before you go to work, make it a habit, make it a practice, read God's word, and invite Jesus to go with you. You know, remember that bracelet, what would, what would Jesus do? Right, WWE? That's just simply what this is. I love what Dallas Willard writes. He says, if Jesus were to come today as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk, an accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, a doctor, waiter, teacher, farmhand, lab technician, or construction worker. Jesus could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, live within your family, your surroundings, and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to to us through him. Our human life, it turns out, is not destroyed by God's life, but rather fulfilled in it. And then he writes, and I like these words, this, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary, that's you and me, is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. So invite him in. Isn't that kind of cool? Jesus could show up in your home, in your work, and make a difference. And he can do that when you invite him with you. Now, you're not going to do it perfectly, right? But that's what it means to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus. The other thing I want to share with you is let Jesus work through you. Not only you kind of invite him in and you let him um, actually um, live in you, but you now let him work through you. This, this week, I read in my quiet time... Um, when I was alone with Jesus, these words, Luke eight ten says, and Jesus, I, I came to it and I was reading, you know how I'm reading God's word and it goes, the parable of the sower, and I'm going, I know, I've read that maybe a hundred million times. Anyway, you know, what do you have for me in God? And, and I do what I do. I say, God, speak to me and, and let me hear your word. And all of a sudden, I'm reading this and he, he, it goes, you have been given, they're asking Jesus after he gives a story in this story, they're kind of going, I'm not quite sure what you mean, Jesus. And he says to them, you have been given teachable hearts to perceive the secret hidden mysteries of the kingdom, of the kingdom realm. Remember last week I said you can see the greater work in your work if you open your heart and you're teachable and you're willing to let, as you bring Jesus to live with you in that place, he can then, through that time you're there, work through you if you open your eyes, you keep your eyes open. And then he says this, but to those who don't have a listening heart, my words are merely stories. Even though they have eyes, they are blind to the true meaning of what I say. Even though they listen, they won't receive the full revelation. And remember last week I said one of the things, when you pay attention to the greater work of God in your work, there really is a work of God happening if you keep your eyes open to it. 
When you begin to live and say, you know, life isn't about me, but it's about how I serve people around me. How do I actually show up with Jesus with me? How does he work in me and through me in this? I said last week when the people saw the heavens tore apart when Jesus was baptized, some saw a dove and some saw the Holy Spirit. It actually says in John at one point when Jesus is praying, he says, Father, glorify your name. And it says, the voice from heaven came and said, he he said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And it says in scripture, some thought it thundered. A few thought it was an angel. But guess what? Some, like John, heard the actual voice of God. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have all these kind of divine kind of encounters, but the Spirit of God, if you're open to it, if you're teachable and you're willing, can begin to show up. When you ask him to live in you, he begins to work through you, and it may not be in such dramatic ways, but I can promise you, he will work through you. So we get done with the staff meeting. I'm kind of a little discouraged. Joel announced last week to the congregation that he's going to be leaving, and it's a process of worship and all this stuff, and so... I get done, I'm walking out, and one of the staff members grabs me and goes, look, and I look up, and I see sitting on our spire of our worship, an eagle. And lots of you are just seeing an eagle. I heard and saw God saying, I've got control. I'm going to, I'm, my people here want to worship me, and and they are going to soar, and they are mighty in my arms. So I just encourage us as we go forward put your whole self and heart into worship. So for me, that was kind of a, my job, sorry. And then the last thing I want to share with you is this. Some of you are in a place where you're going, yeah, my job is really crummy. Um, I, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not really even sure I'm in the right job. And you're asking questions like, should I stay? You're asking questions like, is this just a tough season? And it may be God has all kinds of things. He might be saying, pay attention to that because I'm going to lead you to something else or pay attention to it because I want you to stay in it because I'm building something in you that can only happen in this situation. I'm teaching you to rely on me and trust in me in that place. So I didn't think that there's probably a better way to be able to share this than to have someone in our congregation come up and do that. So I've asked Michelle Widman to come up and she shared last service and, and I'm so grateful, Michelle, for you to do that. She has in her hands a little storyboard. We had at the works, some of you who were at the works on that Wednesday night, we had a bunch of these out here where people shared about their life story. And what I found was really interesting about Michelle's as I was going through, first of all, Shelly said to me, who, Shelly is connected to everybody, um, she says, you got to talk to Michelle about her story. But the very first thing I saw when I came there, because Michelle, you weren't even at the booth when I first came, I saw who, am, who I am, this, this right here, and I just noticed I am a child of God. And I thought, well, that's really cool. Because I didn't know how people would define that. And, and then it goes, well, what I do, how I do it, and why it matters. And so you've been in that place where you've asked God to lead you. So why don't you share a little bit of your story. I'll give you a mic so you don't have to yell. There you go. Hi. Um, so my story for work starts probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I had been at the same company for about 11 years. And all of a sudden, I just didn't really feel called to be there anymore. And nothing changed. It was a great job. It's a great company. It, it just didn't feel right anymore. Um, but I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. So I, I stayed I, and prayed to God and asked him to clearly show me what the next step was. And he answered my prayer by eliminating my job. and um, so, so be careful what you pray for. <laughs> uh, that was an exciting time in your household, right? It was. And so... <laughs> All the offers that they had at my level um, were out of state, and that that just wasn't realistic for us. We weren't willing to relocate. 
So um, I was laid off and unemployed. And uh, it, I put this up here because it kind of surprised me how, uh, how much who I was had started to get into that what I do. And um, being able to kind of take that moment to reset as uh, I am a child of God and that's who I am and everything else is what I do. And being able to separate that. And as I separated that, I, I tried to decide kind of what I want to be when I grow up. And uh, I hadn't heard Kevin's sermons on the myths that Christians face when they look for work. And so I obviously went for got to do nonprofit or got to do stay-at-home mom. Those are my only choices after leaving business. And uh, I started to look at nonprofits. And I just didn't have the qualifications that they were looking for. I had a great business background, but I was just mis- had some core voids that I wouldn't be able to use my God-given gifts there um, like I, I would want to. And uh, so I committed to being a stay-at-home mom at least through the summer and kind of into the fall. I would start looking again and see where, where God led me. And um, as I continued to do this, I continued to get closer to what I did want. And I knew I wanted to be in a small company, and I knew I wanted to have a really big soul. Um, I hoped I could find something part-time or where I could work from home. And as I shared this with my friends, they all told me they would pray for me, but that opportunities like that didn't really exist. So I continued to pray about it. And uh, early this summer, I had a friend call me and to see if I was still looking for work and if I was ready to go back because there was an opportunity she thought would be a really good fit. And it was at Hagee's Pizza. And through the interview process, I learned that they only work four days a week and the position would be out of my house remotely. The owner is a devout Christian who really um, runs his life and his company with faith first, then family, then work, and really tries to support us to do the same. Um, and I would be working on fundraising. So I would get to help support causes that other people were really passionate about, and I would still get to have my hand a little bit in that nonprofit sector that I really was um, looking forward to. And the week I was supposed to find out if I got the job or not, um, I prayed with my boys in the car, and we prayed that whatever God wanted, it would be clear, and we would be brave enough to follow it. And that um, if that meant turning down the job, that we could do that if that meant not getting the offer that we would do that and that we would truly follow his will and uh, as soon as we said amen um, a Heggie's pizza truck (laughs) drove by our car um, in the middle of our neighborhood in Minnetonka (laughs) so um, I got the signal and uh, I got the the offer and I I took the job (laughs) thank you Thanks. thanks for sharing that I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as we kind of close this time and, and sing. In, in, as you do that in response to the Lord, don't just sing these words, but I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to say, Jesus, if you maybe haven't done this before, I want you to live in me. And maybe you've never asked him into your heart, and you need to know that his grace is for you, and his forgiveness is all over you when you just humbly come before him and all it is is saying Jesus thank you for forgiving me enter my life I want you to be not just part of my my work but I want you to be in all of my life and and I'm going to ask you some of you specifically to 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 through this song say Jesus I want you to live in me I want you to work through me and I want you to lead me wherever God chooses to lead you